Okay, everybody. Uh, it's really great to be here this afternoon. Thank you so much for coming. I'm sure your heads are like absolutely full with all the amazing teaching that you've heard in the last couple of days. Hopefully you've got full bellies, so you've got some energy. If not, make sure you've got some sugar at the door, just, you know, just to pep you all up. Um, grab some chocolate if you haven't had some. Um, but it is great to be here today. It's great to be part of a family of churches who want to see Jesus made known to hundreds and thousands of people in our nation and uh, beyond. And like I said, your heads are probably full right now of the things that you've been hearing this week. Um, but my heart, my desire is that um, from what we share together here, your hearts would be filled with God's <laughs> compassion for the poor. That's what we want, isn't it? Actually, not for our heads to be filled, but our hearts to be filled with the things that matter to our Father. And as you know, uh, my name is Jess. I hope you know that. You signed up to come to the seminar. If you want to go somewhere else, then you can stampede out now. Um, I'm not offended. Um, my name is Jess. I'm married to uh, Ben, who is sitting here. Um, I live in Bristol. I've got three kids. Um, I used to be a nurse, but now um, I lead social action at City Church in Bristol. And as a child um, of the 1980s, I was of the Live Aid, Band Aid generation, Feed the World, who remembers that, Bob Geldof and his gang. And at that point, kind of global poverty was put on our screens and brought into our living rooms. And I was of that generation that had their eyes open to look at the suffering that there is in the world. But in my 20s, God began to draw my eye to people experiencing poverty in our own nation. And I don't know what has brought you here today. It might be that your team kind of divvied it up and one of you was told, right, you go there, you go there, you go there. So that might be why you're here today. You might be here today because you're already engaging in caring for those in need around you. Or it might be because God is stirring something fresh in you. But whatever it is, whatever has brought you here today, I'm really excited you're here. And God is really excited that you are here because God loves the poor and he loves that you have come here today with a heart open and willing to hear what he has got to say about this. And um, I was born and raised in London. Um, and when I was six years old, I moved to East London. And Tower Hamlets in the 1980s was rough and it was a complete eye-opener. I can tell you there's a very big difference between South East London and the East End in the 1980s. I'd never known anything like it. I mean, my heart, I was just kind of blown away by how rough it was. And I, I could go into stories and stories of the horrors of my schooling years there. But poverty was real. It was really, really real. Racism was blatant and aggressive. Mums were young. <laughs> um, gangs were real. It was a really tough place to live. And there was very, very little gospel presence. Very little gospel presence in Tower Hamlets at that point. Our nation is in darkness. They need the light of Jesus. And Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Yeah, he does the same thing again and again and again and again. He comes into dark situations. He brings his light. He restores and he redeems. And our nation is in a desperate state, isn't it? It is in a desperate state. We've become a food bank nation. We're on the brink of recession. We're struggling with poorer mental health. The NHS is collapsing. But the church, the bride of Christ, 
is the light of the world with the power to transform lives. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that just incredible good news? So it is a little bit scary talking to you all, church leaders, but I'm really excited just to be talking about our Jesus and the wonderful saviour that he is and the gospel, which is good news to the poor. Jesus said, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me, Ben's going to help me now, to (laughs) preach good news. How amazing is that? The spirit of the sovereign Lord was upon Jesus to preach good news and so despite the headlines despite everything falling apart in the world around us we have good news we have good news yeah we have the answer it's not that we found some philosophy it's not that we're part of some club or program but we have the promise of scripture yeah the word of God is living and active and sharper than a double-edged sword yeah we don't have like a list of like oh this could work We have the promises of scripture and we have the authority of Jesus. We have been given the authority of Jesus to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, to proclaim release from darkness for prisoners, to comfort all those who mourn, to provide for those who grieve and to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes and to see them, and this is the really beautiful bit, become oaks of righteousness for the display of his glory. That is the really beautiful thing. That is the really beautiful thing. The gospel is good news to the poor. So how, as gospel-believing churches and as his bride, can we be good news to those that are experiencing poverty, injustice and isolation in our communities and beyond? That is the question. Now, who was at the Brighton Leaders Conference in 98? Some people, woohoo! Um, I was actually a student at the time, uh, so I didn't quite qualify, um, but I've listened to the preach. Simon Pettit spoke from Galatians 2.10. He brought this incredible, apostolic, prophetic word and provocation to God's people to remember the poor. It was incredible. If you haven't heard it, I would strongly urge you to look it up on YouTube. And the question remains, 25 years later, are we remembering the poor? Does your church remember the poor? Does your church even know the poor? Do you even know the poor? Have you got poor amongst you? And if you don't have poor amongst you, do the poor around you know that you even exist? And I'm not asking that question to be contentious or to condemn you, but it's because I want to stir faith. I want to stir faith in you because the gospel is exciting and it works. It works. We have an answer for the hopeless situations in our nation and to the nations. And in declaring this good news, in preaching the good news of the gospel, God is glorified. That's how we reach the rich. That is how we reach the rich, when we reach the poor. Because God can do something so breathtaking and miraculous and supernatural that the rich will look on and say, how has that (coughs) happened? The gospel is the hope of the nations. So how can we, as churches, make sure that we are preaching good news to those experiencing poverty, injustice and isolation in our communities? Well, firstly, we need to be really convinced in our hearts. I mean, I'm talking like deep gut, you know, deep in our bellies. We are convinced that this is God's heart. Okay, if we are not convinced deeply in our spirits that this is God's heart, then we're just in danger of running projects, just doing a little bit of social action, tick. If 
we don't really feel like this is the heart of the Father. And we'll just be in danger of just running little projects rather than just understanding this is our Father's heart. And so therefore this is a natural declaration to the world that, you know what, King Jesus is alive and his kingdom is advancing. And it will, if we just think, oh, you know, it's projects, then we're going to miss the fact that actually this should be a natural expression of our love and affection for King Jesus. That's what it could, should come from. Jesus, you have rescued me. I know that you are the answer. How could I not take this to any and everybody around me in need? And beneath a meta-narrative of the Bible, the big story, the big story of salvation, lies an even more fundamental revelation. The revelation of who God is. His nature, his existence, his character, and his moral attributes, his goodness, love, mercy, grace, justice, holiness, and patience. And these are revealed through Scripture, especially clearly in his commands to care for the poor. And throughout the books of the law, wisdom literature, the prophets writing the New Testament, God reveals his heart for the poor. He implores his people to love them and he remonstrates them for not doing it. And God lays out clear instructions of how, very specifically, God's people should be responding and caring for those in need in their, who are experiencing poverty. And it's so important that we grasp, as we look at these instructions, that God is actually revealing something of himself to us. God reveals himself to us in this. That's what we get to see. We get to see the heart of the Father as we pursue him in these, in these kind of outreach and in this kind of mission. But God doesn't just reveal himself through kind of instructions and teachings about how to care for the poor. He is explicit in saying who he is. So there's this incredible moment of revelation in Exodus 34. Uh, I don't know if you, I'm sure you know the story. So the Israelites have completely blown it. They've just built a calf. What's that about? And uh, Moses comes back to God and he's like, if your presence doesn't go with us, please don't send us out from here. And actually, God, could you reveal all your glory to me? I mean, what a request. I mean, I'm just reading that this week and thinking, whoa, that's a terrifying request. He says, God, can you reveal all of your glory to me? I mean, just whoa. Off the charts, incredible faith and, you know, excitement about, excitement about who God was in that moment. So anyway, God's like, okay. Um, and God says this, I will cause all of my goodness to pass in front of you and I will proclaim my name. So God tucks him into the cleft of a rock and he passes Moses and this is what God proclaimed. So he said to Moses, okay, I'm going to tell you who I am. Actually, you're not going to be able to see my glory. It is going to be way too much for you. But I am going to proclaim my name. I'm going to allow all of my goodness to pass in front of you. Whoa, what a statement. I'm going to allow all of my goodness to pass in front of you. You're not going to be able to see it, but I will tell you who I am. And he says this. This is the words of God. And he's proclaiming his name. God proclaims this. The Lord, the Lord the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands. God says of himself, 
I am compassionate. That's not what somebody else is saying about him. That is what he is declaring about himself. And Matthew Henry writes this, God's goodness is his glory. That is his glory. His goodness is his glory. And he will have us to know him by the glory of his mercy, more than by the glory of his majesty. Do we get that? The glory of God is revealed in his goodness. And because God is compassionate, he loves justice and mercy. And the psalmist writes this in Psalm 33, 5. The Lord loves righteousness and justice, and the earth is full of his unfailing love. And the Hebrew word for righteousness, sadakar, means being right with God and therefore right with others. And the Hebrew word for justice, mishpat, means an active righting of wrongs. So when they're tied together, we get an idea of what true biblical justice is. It is an active pursuit of justice and an expression of mercy that flows out of a right walk with God. That is what biblical justice is. It comes out of our right walk with God and understanding of who he is. And so God tells us he is compassionate. He tells us that he loves righteousness and justice. But God also is the God who sees. I mean, the Old Testament is just filled with constant revelations of God's goodness and kindness. But the beautiful story of Hagar, the slave girl who'd been mistreated, Abraham and Sarah's slave girl. She runs away to the desert. I'm sure you know this story. It's in Genesis 16. She's been mistreated and God appears to her in the desert, to this slave girl. And Hagar says, you are the God who sees me. You are the God who sees me. God is a God who sees. God is the God who draws near. Psalm 34 says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. Psalm 68, 5 says this, A father to the fatherless, a defender of the widow, is God in his holy dwelling. He sets the lonely in families. God loves, he defends, he dwells, and he is close to the brokenhearted and fatherless. That is who he is. They are the people that God chooses to dwell with. In his holy dwelling, he is dwelling, his heart is dwelling with the brokenhearted. Do you get that? That is where his heart dwells. That is where his heart dwells. And so God sees, he hears, and therefore he speaks about mercy. And he commands his people. He commands Moses. He gives specific instructions about how God's people were to care for the indebted, for the slaves, for the widows, for the aliens. He says very specific instructions. I can't go into them. It's literally a whole preaching itself. Um, But he said every 50 years, there's going to be a year of jubilee and there's going to be a trumpet call. And in the year of jubilee, land is going to be restored. Slaves are going to be set free. Debts are going to be cancelled. The goal for God's people was that there would never be poor amongst them. There would never be poor amongst them. It says that Deuteronomy 15.4, there should be no poor among you pretty clear. God says, there should be no poor among you. I've told you quite clearly how you should care for one another. So there should be no poor among you. And their lives built around a living God were to point to a king who was unlike any other. So the nations around them had kings. The people of God had God. He was their king. And he had put rules in place that said, it should be pretty clear to the nations around you that your king is unlike any other. And that is the same right now. The people of God, our lives should point to the fact that we belong to a king who is unlike any other ruler in this world. 
And God continues to speak through wisdom literature. He speaks through the books of the prophets. I mean, God's people are continually messing up, as, as you know. Um, and in the book of Micah, God's people are worshipping other idols and Micah is calling them back and there's this kind of weird bargaining thing going on where they're like, well, you know, um, I know we've been worshipping idols, but how about, we, you know, if we sacrificed our children, would that, you know, make things right again? And Micah's like, no, this is all the Lord asks of you, that you act justly, that you show mercy and you walk humbly before your God. That is all I'm asking of you. And my contemporary Isaiah repeatedly rebukes the hypocritical worship of God's people. He says this, this famous passage, is this not the kind of fasting that I've chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? God's like, don't you get it, guys? This is what it means to belong to me and this is what it means to worship me. Guys, why can't you get this? And God is speaking again and again and again. But God is also the God who acts. And it says in Isaiah 59 that God is appalled. God looked and was displeased that there was no justice. He saw that there was no one. He was appalled that there was no one to intervene. So his own arm worked salvation for him. And that immediately, doesn't that just immediately make you think of the arms of Jesus stretched out on the cross? His own arm worked salvation for him. God sends Jesus. And this is where the shift comes. In Luke 4, 18, Jesus proclaims the year of Jubilee, the year of the Lord's favour, has now come in him. John's disciples, um, John the Baptist's disciples come and say, are you, like, are you the Messiah? Are you the Messiah? The Jubilee was no longer a calendar event. It was now here in Jesus. And actually, his ministry was validating him as the Messiah. In Colossians 1.15, it says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. So in Jesus, the Father was perfectly and absolutely revealed. And in Jesus, God was demonstrating his love and compassion for the poor, the sinful poor, the oppressed poor, the materially poor, and the spiritually poor. God is expressing his heart fully in Jesus. And like I said, God's intention had always been to dwell amongst his people and for them to care for those in need. But now in the coming of Jesus, by his spirit, he was going to dwell in the hearts of his people who were now being commissioned to go. So whereas before the aliens, the foreigners might join God's people and God's people were told, yeah, you need to welcome them in and love them, but actually you are your own people. Now with the Jubilee coming in Jesus, God's people are not to kind of go, oh, this is nice. God's people are now to go and to take the goodness of God, to take the Jubilee to those outside of their nation. And we as God's people, what that means for us, as God's people, we are to take the goodness of God outside of our nation, outside of the four walls of our buildings. And I absolutely love that CityGate says home of CityGate Church. Oh my goodness, I absolutely love that. Yeah, it's the home where the people of God meet. But this is not the, ch this is not the church, it's just a building where they meet. And that's what it meant when Jesus said, you know, the year of Jubilee is here. He wasn't just talking about himself. He was talking about through his people now, the Jubilee is coming. I don't know where I am now. 
Um, <laughs> so, um, so yes, Jesus has said God is a God who acts, and then God commissions. He commissions his people. And after Jesus has ascended to heaven, God does need to bring special revelation to the apostles about going to the Gentiles. It's not kind of immediately obvious to them. And he has to kind of reveal that to Peter, and he reveals it to Paul as well. He has to say, oh, by the way, like, you need to go now. They didn't understand that the promise of God's goodness was always for the nations. That needs to be pointed out to them. But what was never needed to be pointed out, what, what, what was never in question, was whether caring for the poor should remain a priority. That was never ever in question that remained an apostolic priority and in Jesus the apostles have seen an absolute commitment and passion and a priority for displaying and demonstrating mercy and justice in bringing liberty and restoration to those around them that the apostles had kind of seen that so it was just obvious to them that obviously we're just going to continue doing the stuff that's what we've seen Jesus doing the entire time and so it was central to the apostles teaching Caring for the poor was absolutely like key and central. And it was woven into the, their daily lives as New Testament churches. It was woven into their church community. It was woven into their leadership structures. We know in Acts, the early books of Acts 2 and 4, the believers just sold all their stuff. They shared it out. There was nobody in need amongst them. And we see that the apostles are just kind of so busy doing the stuff and like handing out the food that actually they just didn't have time to kind of do the preach prep and do the teaching and stuff because they were doing the other stuff. And so they were like, oh, wait a minute, okay, maybe, uh, okay, we're not actually then kind of attended to God's word. Okay, but we need some really godly guys. And so they appoint men full of faith, wisdom, and the Holy Spirit. High-caliber men are therefore given the responsibility to care for the feeding of the widows. So the apostles were doing this, not because it was like, oh, yeah, well, there's nobody else to do it, so I guess we better feed the widows. They were doing it because they'd seen Jesus doing it. You know, it was a natural thing for them to do. And so when they were kind of needing to be released to preach the word of God, they were like, well, we've got to get some really good guys. Not in a big headed way, well, we were really good, so we'd get some other good people. But they, they knew God's heart was for these people, so they wanted that to be done really, really well. And so through their teaching, the writings of the apostles, they devote much of their New Testament letters to instructions about how the church should care for the poor. And James pens the phrase, the royal law. I'm sure you've all heard of this. And he speaks of caring for the poor. And, he's, and he's, he writes really plainly when he says, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. And as Paul's ministry emerges... Um, James, Peter and John say to Paul, well, just remember the poor. We get that you've got to go to the Gentiles, but please remember the poor. They continue to advocate for a ministry to the poor. And Paul's like, it's cool. That is the very thing that I am eager to do. So we can see that God not only acts, but he commissions. That was always his intention, that the church would continue um, to express his heart for those that are suffering in the world around us. So... We have to be convinced, we have to be convinced of this, yeah? Because there will be people, you may be kind of on the borderline, or there'll be people in your church that are like, well, you know, have we got time for this? Have we got the money for this? Have we got the people for this? Is this the kind of church that we are? Are we in the right place for this? We need to be absolutely convinced of this biblical mandate. This is what it means to belong to, to Jesus. That, you know... The little Christians, Christians were, you know, that means little Christs. We need to look like Christ. Do we look like Christ? So that's the first thing I want to say, is we have to be convinced of God's heart for the poor. But the second thing is we need to be aware. 
we really need to be aware of the needs of those around us. It says in Matthew 9:36 that Jesus saw the crowds and he had compassion on them. He saw the need. He saw it. And when he saw those needs, he met those needs. And he was good news. When he saw those needs, he met those needs. And he was good news for those people. So I just want to ask you now, what would good news be to you if you were a child in care? What would good news be? What would the gospel look like if you were a child in care? What would the good news be if you were an asylum seeker or you were a rough sleeper or you were mentally ill or you were in prison or you were struggling with addiction or you were in a violent relationship? What would the good news of Jesus look like if you were being exploited? What would it look like? And in order to answer that question, we have to see the need, don't we? We've got to see the need. We've got to be like our father who saw, who heard And, you know, there's constant, you can spend hours looking on the internet, getting stats about, you know, the suffering in the world. But, you know, just Oxfam published a report this year that said, you know, 42% of the world's population are living in extreme poverty. That's a quarter of a billion people are living in poverty. And in our own nation, you know, millions of people are living in poverty. Millions of people. A report... um, by the Roundtree Foundation, found that 14.5 million people in our nation are living in poverty. 14.5 million people. Do you hear that? That should be as shocking as, you know, when we saw those images of big belly children in the 1980s and we were like, wow. Do you hear that? 14.5 million people, 2.5 million children in our nation are living in damp homes. There are more than 274,000 people who are homeless in our nation and of that figure 126,000 of them are children that should really break our hearts that breaks our father's heart it breaks our father's heart there's these figures of things that are quite out there some things that are hidden and not all poverty is obvious is it there's different types of poverty there's economic poverty but there's relational poverty the breakdown in communities, the breakdown in families. There's aspirational poverty. That is a massive thing. The Bible talks about bringing hope to the hopeless. I mean, suicide is on on the increase. Mental health issues in our young people is off the charts. That is about aspirational poverty. Our young people have no hope for the future. But Jesus is the hope of the nations. He is the hope of the nations. What about the spiritual poverty? The disconnect from our creator. And all of these things are compounded and accelerated and experienced often through and in financial hardship. Are you aware of those things? Can you even see those things? I don't know where your churches are. The majority of the churches in this nation are white and middle class, and the majority of our churches are in rich suburban areas with some mega churches in some city centres. That is the majority of our church populations in this country. So can you even see the poverty? Because the danger is there's a growing disconnect between the church, the people of God, and the realities of the poor in Britain. That That is the reality. And I know there's other uh, nations represented here, so I don't know if there's anybody here from other nations right now in this room. Portugal? No. Spain. 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 
Hola. Uh, <laughs> that's all I've got. It's great to have you here. It's great to have you here. But, you know, I know that these, what I'm saying about Britain, I'm, I'm sure that echoes... It's yeah, I'm sure it echoes across Spain as well. Do we know what's happening in the churches of our brothers and sisters? You know, the New Testament church, when they heard of needs in other nations, they're like, how can we help? How can we serve? How can we help? How can we serve? So I just want to share a little bit about our story in Bristol. Um, so we've been on a bit of a journey. So our church was 25 years old. Last weekend, I'm getting a bit hot. Um, and if the church was planted in 1998, so a group of people left Brighton, and there was a sense of calling to the whole of Bristol. So quite early on, a second church was planted in the north of Bristol, and then another one was planted out in Bath. And in 2018, God spoke about the churches coming back together, and we became a multi-site church. And our vision is to help Bristol believe by reaching and restoring and resourcing the whole of the city with the good news of Jesus. That is our vision. And we had a prophetic word come in 2005, and that has really, really shaped us. And that was about God calling us to reopen the wells of Wesley, Whitfield, and Muller. So I'm sure many of you, most of you know about these great heroes of the faith. You know, Wesley, who rode up and down um, the countryside in England, went, went into the places of darkness, particularly focused on the poorest communities in our nation, preaching the gospel, preaching the gospel, preaching the gospel. Muller, who fed and housed thousands and thousands and thousands of orphans in Bristol. And this prophetic word had been brought, but it kind of came back to our attention about six years ago. And God started doing this, and he just started to stir our hearts, stir our hearts. And um, he kind of took us on a journey, and um, God was kind of stirring the hearts of, you know, a few of us. And God has spoken to me about um, women in prostitution when I was a student. And I, I had a word that was brought to me about the underbelly of the city. And so I started to go into some of the parlours in Bristol with a Christian organisation and gathered together a group of women, and like-minded women. We just started to pray. We just started to pray. God, take us to the dark places. Take us to the dark places. And then we, we got some guys along as well. We thought we'd let them in. Um, <laughs> and so there was a group of men and women who started to pray. And we started to pray... Um, and asking God for an opportunity to take the gospel to the underbelly of the city. We started to ask God, give us that opportunity. We haven't got a foot in the door at this point, but give us that opportunity. And he, God started to take us on a journey, and he led us prophetically to different churches, individuals across the city, and we started to connect with people. And um, Martin Charlesworth, who I'm sure many of you have heard of, he's um, uh, the author of many wonderful books about God's heart for the poor. He came and spoke to us um, on a Sunday morning, and it was in January, and he spoke about God's heart for the poor. And it, I think it was, was it snowing that day, Kat? It was really cold. I think it was snowing. All the electricity went, so we just sat in darkness. It was absolutely freezing, because we meet in an old Anglican building. It is cold. Um, and he brought this, this word, this encouragement to be a church for the poor. And at the end of this preach, there was um, an invitation to respond and to give our hearts to this. And um, the invitation was, if you would like to... And Martin didn't say, it was actually someone else who said, if you want to respond in this way, would you kneel? And I've never seen anything ever in any meeting I've ever been. Every single person in that congregation got on their knees. 
And it was like a kind of commissioning of the church. I mean, it was a real moment in God. The sense of the presence of God was immense. And it was like there was a kind of commissioning, like, whoa, okay, God, we're going to do this. We're going to do this. And then since then, that's just kind of been like an acceleration. And there's been like um, a corporate sense of embracing God's heart for us to be a church for the poor. So God has gathered people along the way, and now we have a weekly street outreach in the city centre, feeding the homeless. We have a midweek um, gospel meeting. We're partnering with Encounter Camp, which if you don't know, is like the uh, new day for people struggling with addictions and those who are homeless. It's brilliant. If you want to find out more about that, um, come and grab me at the end. Um, We have contact with many, many women in parlours across the city. We have funding to buy a house for the homeless, which we're hoping to open next year. And we have two members of staff um, set aside to do social action. So that has just happened in like the last four years. But it began with praying, began with praying. And we've got loads more to do, we know that. But we have a corporate sense of this is who we're called to be as a people. And so how has that affected us? Uh, how it, because, because we are basically a white, middle-class, very affluent church in a very affluent part of the city. So we're not like an obvious candidate church. We're not like city centre we are near the University of Bristol. Yeah, like that is the kind of demographic um, that we are. It's, no, it's not an obvious thing, but we have been taken on this incredible journey. We have learned so much that we definitely don't have the answers. But how wonderful is that? Thank goodness it's not down to us. But God really does transform lives. He does have all the answers, and we are all richer. Uh, We are all richer for this. We've seen such beautiful worship at our encounter meetings. We've seen salvation. We saw three people saved in the first six months of this year just at our encounter meetings. We we haven't actually seen that on our Sunday mornings. Um, That's not compared, but that's just, you know, the gospel is good news to the poor. So guess what? When you preach it, they respond. Isn't that an amazing, isn't that an amazing thing? As my dear friend Kath, who's here today, would say... We've seen what you read about in the Bible. That is what we have seen. And what we've learned is it's so important to actually preach the gospel because what we're wanting to do is not good works. No. We're wanting to preach the good news of Jesus. And so at our encounter meeting, our midweek meeting, we are very upfront about Jesus. And we say very clearly, Jesus is on the menu tonight. And we will talk about Jesus week upon week upon week upon week. We don't want to just give you food because Jesus is the one that will satisfy the hunger in your heart. It's only him, it's only him that, can, that will set you free. You know, we see the Holy Spirit doing things that we can't do but because we are preaching the good news of Jesus. Don't be ashamed to say the name of Jesus. Never hide behind kind of good works without saying why you're doing it. You're doing it because of Jesus. I could, oh, I'm just so running behind. I've got so many stories I can tell you of the goodness of God. Um, I'll just really quickly say, oh my goodness, beautiful woman, young woman, who was invited along to encounter, living in a refuge, invited along by another woman from the refuge who started coming to encounter. She has now found family in our church family, and she has started doing these gorgeous pictures, hasn't she? beautiful pictures about the love of Jesus and she has started making bookmarks that she brings every week and she lays them on the tables she's got learning difficulties so they're quite childlike pictures very childlike writing and she writes these individual messages Jesus loves you more than you know Jesus is never going to give up on you you are really special to God 
God knows you more than anyone else and he still loves you. She just writes these like beautiful things. And okay, it's not Bible verses, but she is communicating the heart of the Father in profound and beautiful ways. It's incredible. We are seeing oaks of righteousness being raised up. I can think of a woman who was working in a parlour who's come to faith, who now serves on a Saturday. Not only does she serve on a Saturday night giving out food, but she bakes every single week. And she was really unwell recently. She still baked. She brought, the, she brought the brownies and then she went home. She really should have been at home. She is being made into an oak of righteousness. She is displaying God's, God's splendor in the dark places. We've learned so much about sharing as well. In lockdown, we had one woman living in a caravan and she allowed a rough sleeper to move in with her. I mean, how many of us were like whinging about, oh, we don't have a separate room for our Zoom meeting? She was living in one room and she invited somebody in. That is, that is, she was displaying something of the generosity and the goodness of God. We are being transformed as we see God transforming the lives of the people that we are loving. Oh, there's so many stories, I just have to stop there. Right. Um, Oh, but just very quickly, one last one. <laughs> just because I feel like it's really important to talk about the long haul. It's really important to talk about the long haul. There will be highs and lows in this. Real heartbreak. There will be real, real heartbreak. And it's so important that we're willing to go the long haul. Really willing to go the long haul. And I can think of a lady who continues to struggle with her alcoholism and who had her children taken into care and continues to be in a really violent relationship. But now that her children are old enough to have left care, have chosen to return to her, she came to faith a few years ago, her children have chosen to return to her and she started bringing them to our encounter meetings. Everything is not sorted and wonderful and rosy yet, but she is bringing people with her. That is like a beautiful thing. But you've got to be in it for the long haul. You've got to be in it for the long haul. We're not going to see the end of that story for a while. Okay, I'm just going to go really quick because I really want us to have time to pray. So, how can we be a church that remember the poor, that express the goodness of the gospel? (coughs) How are we going to do this? We've just got to be really willing, basically. Got to be really willing. We've got to be convinced, we've got to be aware, but we've got to be really willing. We've got to be willing to change everything. Like, are you willing to change everything? Because the gospel cannot be changed can't be changed it can cut across every man-made barrier of class ethnicity culture and like that's what the gospel cuts right through that's what it does yeah we have got to be willing to cut right through we have got to be willing to go the church is called to be one new man in christ yeah The Bible says that the manifold wisdom the multicolored wisdom of God is displayed in the bringing together of those that were separated and excluded and without hope and without God, but they have been brought near. The one new man of Christ, that is how God is glorified. And the way that Jesus cut through the divides, he left everything behind. He left the glory of heaven, didn't he? He left it all behind and he humbled himself and he clothed himself in flesh and being found in human likeness he humbled himself even to the point of death on the cross like he's our supreme example like what are you willing to leave behind what is your comfort what's your glory jesus left his glory didn't he his comfort and he was willing to leave it all behind 
and be humiliated and despised and misunderstood. He was willing to do that. Are you willing to do that? And there are barriers that we need to cross, and a lot of those barriers are inside us. Some of them are in our brothers and sisters around us. We mustn't be afraid of actually speaking things out to one another. We're going to need to have some hard conversations. There might be some barriers in your heart, hard-heartedness. You might feel like, yes, I want to go to, uh, you know, addicts. That's what I want to go to. I don't really have time for this, uh, for this single mum. I don't really have time for this person with learning difficulties. If I start talking to them, man, it's going to be like a long time before I can move on. What's the state of your heart in this? Are you wanting this? Are you willing to love the one right in front of you? We've got to be willing to go to the harvest. To the harvest. Jesus says the harvest is plentiful. Oh my goodness. How cool is that? It's not like we're kind of treasure hunting. Like, oh my goodness, is there anybody who might possibly want to know Jesus? Where am I going to find people that might be open to the gospel? It's going to be really hard, isn't it? Oh my goodness, no! The harvest is plentiful, but we've got to be willing to go. Are you willing to go? Are you? Are you willing to go to the church plant? Are you willing to maybe move to a rural area to care for the rural poor who are really tucked away, really hidden, really hidden? And we've had to go. We've had to go to parlours and hostels and onto the streets. Are you willing to go? Where do you need to go? I know that God is stirring some of your hearts right now. I know God is speaking to some of you about places you know that you need to go to. And maybe you need to have some hard conversations. You're going to need to have some hard conversations in your church, in your church leadership. You're going to have to be willing to confront things like racism in your church, social superiority, paternalism. Are you willing to repent of that, that assumption that you know better, that you know better because you're richer or whiter? Like we've done that as a church back in London. Are you willing to repent? of some of the hard hearts that, that we can have. We can come into, like, we want to love the poor and be unaware of actually the prejudices that exist within us. I'm just going to say this last thing before I finish. Are you willing to kind of change your leadership structures as well? Every single member of the body of Christ has been saved to serve God in one capacity or another. Yeah? We want to make disciples we don't want to run projects. It's so important that our mindset is right in this. It's not like, oh, we're going to do this good work. We're going to do this project. We're going to help you. No, we're called to make disciples. Because you, us, we who are not a people are now the people of God. That is what the good news of the gospel is, is that you who are in darkness are now going to be brought in and are going to become the people of God. We are called to make disciples. And that might mean that things have to change. Who are you going to raise up? Are you giving opportunities for people to speak? Are you giving opportunities for people to lead who are completely different to you? We love it when people interrupt at Encounter, don't we? They'll interrupt in the preaches, they'll interrupt in work. Great. Actually, it's not an interruption, it's the body. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. I'm going to finish with reading Matthew 25, 40. so well. The righteous will answer him. Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? When did we see you thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you as a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. One day we're going to meet our saviour, our precious king, our love. We're going to meet him face to face. Oh my goodness, what a beautiful moment. 
Aren't you just really looking forward to that day? And we're told that he's going to welcome in those who have loved him. Who have loved him. He's going to welcome a bride who has spent herself in advance of that day, preparing herself for her king, giving herself to her king, seen in the faces of the suffering around her. Isn't that an amazing, exciting thing? That we get to ready ourselves for that day. We're going to meet our king face to face. And we get all of these years now to ready ourselves for that moment. Um, I've invited Guy um, and Kath and Ben um, just to, I'm going to pray now and I'd, I'd really love to pray for everybody here and ask God to speak and um, when I was preparing this I really felt like there are people here who are being gripped by fear and there are things that you know God is calling you to but maybe because of previous disappointment, you're fearful of, of going again. And I feel like God really wants to break that because his perfect love, the perfect love of the Father, casts out all fear. So I'd love to pray for you if that is you. Um, Kath and Guy or Ben, have you got anything that you might want to share? I would love to pray. And then afterwards, if you want to ask questions, oops, feel free to do that. Just give me coke on the floor. <laughs> Come out here. I, I, I've only got a few, a ver, a very few things. There's, uh, I mean, wonderful, wonderful talk. Thank you, Jess, and very moving. And uh, just outside here um, is the red light area of Bournemouth, and uh, you've been served this week by two women who've been saved. Mm-hmm. Wonderful women who've been serving you and saved some years ago by the grace. And I think I, th- I had a number of things. I felt like some of you are like eggs which are hard-boiled. I believe you're, you, you've got compassion fatigue. I think you've watched so many programs, documentaries, that actually even listening to Jess, it's like, mm-hmm. my heart is hard. I, I believe God wants to break your heart. Mm-hmm. I believe there's some women in this room that God really wants to, as, as Jess talks about parlours and women, I, I believe God's given you a heart for trafficked women, for prostitutes, and God wants to... Just move on your life and anoint you today that actually you go back different. You're going to go back different. I feel Esther, I feel that God is saying to you what you've done already with uh, your family. I believe that's going to be multiplied with children who who have no mums, who have no dads. And God's going to help you birth ministries that are going to rescue uh, children. And even overseas, I could see a plane. I could see you descending steps into another nation and, and, and being embraced by by little children. Um, and I felt Ollie and Ellie, the fact that you're sitting right at the opposite sides of the room, obviously had an argument. Uh, <laughs> I felt that was uh, Holy Spirit. I felt like, imagine you, you linking arms now. It'd be almost an impossibility because you're so far apart. But actually in the spirit, I felt God says, I want your embrace to become very, very large yeah. in terms of caring for the poor and particularly the working classes. And actually, you might say, we haven't got enough resource, we, ha- we can't reach that stretch, but God's saying, you can. You can, and you'll build a family, a massive, massive family, by a loving embrace that is going to be widened and widened and widened. Yeah, so, like, as we, me and Jess are praying on the way down about this, and I can't help that there might be people in the room who, they, you can feel like you've always had a heart, or you've always had a heart to see. God's move and his mercy and this justice but 
you've just been busy with other things. It's not that you've been lazy, it's just other stuff has gone in the way and you've served in other areas and that God wants to stir that again. Mm. He's like stirred something in you this afternoon. So I'd love to pray for that. Mm. I guess the other thing is like, I just felt that maybe people were like, I just don't feel qualified. Like this seems quite scary. It's exciting, but it's scary. And mm. I just kind of want to encourage you a little bit from what yeah. we've done to go for it. Like the result, that's not God. And you might fall flat in your face, you might be like, I don't know what's happening, but God will have his way and yeah. so to go for it. And as part of your worship to him, as mm. Jess was saying, that actually we worship him by pursuing justice. Mm-hmm. So just to encourage you to go for it, really. Brilliant. Brilliant. Really good. I just had one very simple picture, which was of um, a twig and, and the bark being stripped off of this twig. And Jess mentioned about fear, and I think for some of you, it's almost like you feel like if I get, if I, if I go with this, if I follow mm. a heart for the poor, mm. there's a sense of vulnerability. What are the, as as God, you know, as the bark comes off, mm. what's going to be exposed in me or, or my vulnerabilities? Can I do it? But I felt like as this this bark was peeled off, and then it was whittled, and it became a drumstick. And I felt like God wanted to encourage you that actually you're going to start beating a drum that, that is God's heartbeat for the poor. Mm. And that not only will your heart beat for the poor, but actually there'll be loads and loads of people that will follow that drumbeat, that heartbeat for the poor. So you're actually not to be, you know, a drumstick isn't fragile. It's, it's used to yeah. create that beat and, and God wants you to, your heart to beat with his drum beat for the poor. So I think what we'll do now is I'll just pray, f- we'll just pray for everybody and then if any of those words have particularly landed mm. with you, you know that God Good. is speaking right. to you. Do you want to just grab Kath or Ben or yeah. Guy or I and we would love to pray with you. Yeah. Is that That's all right, Guy? Yeah. Is that okay? Yeah, yeah. Is that all right? I've got to go in the next five minutes. Okay, but I'm well, I'm going to pray real quick. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to pray real quick. Let's stand, shall we? Yeah, yeah. Father God, we stand before you now mm-hmm. as your dearly loved children. Yes. Mm-hmm. We thank you that that is what we are we are your children and we thank you father that you have told us that there are many rooms in your house your son told us that and so father god i just want to pray for every single person here father god that they would know your heart your heart for the least and the lost lord jesus And we want to give ourselves to you. We just open our hearts before you now and say, Lord Jesus, would you take us as we are, little children, actually, but with a mighty, loving, heavenly Father and a powerful Saviour. We offer ourselves to you, like that little one that brought his fish and his loaves, to you and said, this is what I have. Lord Jesus, we bring ourselves before you, the little that we have, we bring to you and say, Jesus, would you take us and would you use what we have for your glory, Lord Jesus? We want to give all that we have to loving you, Lord Jesus. 
We love you, Lord Jesus, and we pray that you would lead us on. Pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amen.